Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Outer and Lower Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In today's episode, Beth Dunn has a story to help you get ready for Monday's town meeting in Provincetown, as well as updates on a couple of local businesses in town. I've got a story about progress on filling open positions in Orleans town government. Will David is back this week from vacation, and he's got your exclusive WOMR weekend weather outlook. And Ira Wood has a matter of opinion about the seven secrets of matzo balls. Voters at the Provincetown Annual Town Meeting on April 3rd will vote on 37 warrant articles, including a $34.8 million municipal budget that includes a $1 million Proposition 2.5 override to fund a full-time fire and emergency medical services department. Town meeting starts at 6 p.m. in Provincetown Town Hall on Commercial Street. The budget represents an 8.6% increase over the current year, with increased spending in all town departments. Article 2 includes the additional $1 million override to fund fire and emergency services. For the first time in its history, the town intends to hire full-time firefighter EMTs. Provincetown is the only town on Cape Cod without a full-time fire department. Town manager Alex Morse said he's confident the measure to fund eight full-time positions will pass, given that the town has held several public hearings and forums on the issue. Provincetown's efforts to ease the housing crisis have produced six related articles. These include measures intended to provide more year-round rental housing, increase public transportation hours, offer tax incentives to property owners who rent to year-round Provincetown residents, and to provide $2.2 million to subsidize the development of 65 affordable and community housing units on Jerome Smith Road. Voters will decide whether to approve $100,000 to fund a pilot project to provide more transportation options to Provincetown workers who live in Wellfleet, Truro, and East Ham, especially from May to October. And voters will be asked to reaffirm their support for a petition calling for a real estate transfer fee that will support housing needs. Other articles on the Provincetown warrant would allocate money to hire a consultant to help draft a coastal resiliency plan, funds to pay for demolition and site preparation for a housing development on Bradford Street and Shankpainer Road, and one seeking financing for a new roof at the Harbor Hill housing complex. Without a new roof, the town will lose insurance coverage this fall for the complex that is home to 28 units for people earning too much to qualify for traditional affordable housing. One article that may see some heated debate would approve spending to build pickleball courts at Jerome Hill parking lot. Another proposal would require all candidates for municipal office and all elected officials to have Provincetown as their primary place of residence. 
Seven citizen petition articles cover issues ranging from plastic reduction, short-term rental regulations, fireworks restrictions, and extending the boundary of the historic district. The complete town warrant for the meeting, which takes place on Monday, April 3rd at 6 p.m. at Provincetown Town Hall, can be found at provincetown-ma.gov. In Provincetown business news, the East End Market is open again after sustaining serious flood damage, and the Gifford House will stay in local hands after being sold. Outer Cape native Ariana Conklin opened the doors to her newly purchased East End Market at the corner of Bradford and Howland Streets on March 11, 2022. Exactly one year later, on March 11, 2023, she opened them again. The market had been closed for 10 weeks after a powerful storm on December 23rd sent salt water coursing throughout the neighborhood, resulting in $300,000 worth of damage from the two feet of water that inundated the store. On that December day, the shop flooded from below, with salt water filling the crawl space beneath and rising through the floorboards. Sandbagging the doors would have made little difference, according to Conklin. At around 11 a.m., the fire department ordered her and her team to evacuate because of the flooded electrical systems. When the water receded, and with the power still off, about 20 people from the neighborhood arrived to help move any salvageable inventory upstairs. That work continued until the power returned three days after the storm. The market lost about $70,000 in food and dry goods. Another $230,000 worth of damage was done to the floors, walls, and the market's equipment. In the recovery process, Conklin maxed out her credit cards and relied on her many connections in town. Local contractors have fronted their services until the insurance check comes through. Siemens Bank, which holds one of the market's loans, has been amazing and helpful, according to Conklin. And with assistance from an online fundraiser, she was able to pay her employees for all but two weeks' worth of wages lost during the repairs. On the other hand, Conklin said that insurance has been a complete nightmare, and she has yet to see an insurance agent at the market. She received her first payment 84 days after filing a claim. Considering the scope of the damage, the market bounced back quickly, returning to operations as soon as the Board of Health gave the okay. Conklin took advantage of the opportunity to make a few changes. The coffee station has been moved up to the front of the store, and customers now have a clear view of the Harvey Dodd mural that has graced the back wall since 1968. At the time, Dodd was living two doors down and traded the painting for groceries. Another Provincetown business will maintain local ownership after changing hands. Jim Foss, who had owned the Gifford House Inn at the corner of Bradford and Carver Streets since 1994, has sold it to Stephen Azar in a $6 million transaction that closed on March 30th. Azar is the former owner of the Stowaway Guest House on Bradford Street. The fact that the new owner is a local is significant, because three multi-state hotel groups have bought properties in Provincetown in the last two years. Azar says he intends to continue the gay entertainment tradition the Gifford House is known for, 
also meaningful because many gay and lesbian bars in other parts of the country have closed in recent years and have largely not been replaced by other kinds of meeting spaces. Foss did not want to sell to a big company, and he wanted to find a buyer who would respect the historical integrity of the building, parts of which date back to 1858. Azar approached Foss last December, just a few days after the nonprofit Summer of Sass closed on its purchase of the stowaway. Summer of Sass brings LGBTQ people ages 18 to 21 to Provincetown from difficult small-town environments. Club Purgatory, the basement nightclub that once hosted experimental theater in the 1960s and which has been closed since 2020, should be open by the end of May, according to Azar. The Porch Bar will reopen in April, and the hotel and its lobby bar will open in May. Scream Along with Billy, the show featuring performer and storyteller Billy Huff, will be back in the lobby, too. The Gifford House's hotel reservations, including those for this summer, had been made by telephone and managed by pencil and paper, but Azar said he will start fresh with reservations for the season ahead using a new online reservation system. The rates will be going up, but renovations are being made, and Azar said it's going to be like a new hotel. It will likely be a dry summer at Cahoon Hollow Beach in Wellfleet. The Cape Cod National Seashore is moving ahead with plans to ban drinking and open containers of alcohol at the beach, with enforcement help from the Wellfleet Police Department. The new regulation will take effect on May 20th and will last through September 10th, according to National Seashore Chief Ranger Michael Valora. According to an email sent to the select board by Wellfleet Police Chief Michael Hurley, traffic going to Cahoon Hollow has grown 20% each year since 2017, resulting in an increase of problems related to alcohol. Open consumption of alcohol is currently allowed on all Cape Cod National Seashore beaches. The regulation change would ban consumption only at Cahoon Hollow. A big part of the problem is the traffic that takes over Ocean View Drive on Saturdays in the summer. Hurley said that a long line of cars forms on Ocean View Drive as early as 6 a.m., requiring police officers to be on hand to manage the scene. On July 4th weekend last year, traffic was so heavy that the police department had to call the sheriff's office and the Harwich police for backup. Though the regulation change does not directly target traffic, Hurley said that the traffic is a result of the fact that you can drink on National Park property. The concern is having enough police to handle the situation. Wellfleet's department is short two officers due to vacancies, and other police departments and the sheriff's office are shorthanded as well. At 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday, April 4th, Pamela Means will present The Power of the Protest Song, Our Shared History and Present Day, at the Truro Public Library on Standish Way in North Truro. This family-friendly event will explore the origins of protest songs, how their meanings change over time, and how they inspire racial and social justice. Means will share an assortment of original songs and recognizable covers in a demonstration of how powerful protest songs can be. 
Means is an East Hampton-based biracial independent artist whose kamikaze guitar style has worn a hole in two of her acoustic guitars. Means has won multiple local cultural council grants to tour and perform this show across Massachusetts in 2023. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. A man convicted of a grisly Provincetown murder has been granted conditional parole after serving 17 years in prison. In 2006, Nathaniel J. Mitch was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after a jury found him guilty of second-degree murder for killing his former lover, Timothy McGuire. After a November 2022 hearing, the State Parole Board unanimously deemed Mitch a suitable candidate for parole. On October 25, 2003, Mitch strangled Timothy McGuire with a belt in Provincetown. He admitted on the stand to killing his former lover and drug user partner, but said he did it accidentally and in self-defense. Mitch told jurors that he had been raped by McGuire the night before his death. According to Cape Cod Times coverage at the time, Mitch testified that he accidentally killed McGuire when he blocked his exit the next day. Mitch's lawyer said his client had done an excellent job working at his rehabilitation, including taking steps to address his substance abuse, mental health, and education. Two people died in an early morning fire Sunday at a dentist duplex where authorities said there were no working smoke detectors. Firefighters arrived at 3 Niblick Street in Dennis just before 7 a.m. on Sunday where smoke was coming from the two-story wood-framed duplex. Crews entered the house, put out the fire, and discovered two badly injured people. Gina Champ and Edward Snell were taken to Cape Cod Hospital, but later succumbed to their injuries. A dog was also killed in the fire. The origin and cause of the fire are under investigation. Cape and Islands District Attorney Robert Galabois' office said the cause of the fire does not appear to be suspicious. Dennis Fire Chief Robert Brown released a statement saying there were no working smoke alarms in the unit where the fire began. Brown reminded people to check your smoke alarms to be sure they're working properly on every level of your home. Fire destroyed a home in East Ham on Saturday last weekend, but the resident and her dogs were thankfully able to escape. Fire broke out at the house on Hideaway Lane in East Ham at approximately 1.30 Saturday afternoon, March 25th. Owner Teresa Martin attempted to put out the fire with an extinguisher, according to Fire Chief Dan Keene. When her attempt failed, she evacuated her dogs to her car. When firefighters arrived, the front of the house was on fire and power lines were arcing and burning, which prevented crews from accessing the main part of the fire. It took 45 minutes for the firefighters to stop the flames. The home was a total loss. Martin was transported to Cape Cod Hospital for smoke inhalation, no firefighters were injured. The fire was accidental, and the cause was electrical in nature, according to Keene. 
In Orleans, after months of advertising, one key town hall position has been filled, and other vacancies could soon follow. Michael Solitro will begin work as Orleans' new assistant town planner on April 3rd. The hire provides much-needed staff support for the planning department and its director, George Masservi. In addition to short-range and long-range planning, the office serves a regulatory role for all commercial site plans and the subdivision of land. Masservi said that those things, combined with the environmental protection issues, growth management, and the need for a comprehensive plan update, have been too much for current staff to handle. Solitro comes to Orleans, having worked for the City of Boston and state agencies, including the MBTA and Massport. One of Solitro's chief responsibilities as assistant town planner will be to lead efforts in implementing the town's economic development plan. The plan looks to improve housing, public access, and the diversity of businesses in downtown Orleans and Town Cove. Beyond his professional qualifications, Solitro also lives on the Cape. Interim Town Administrator Charles Sumner said last month that the rising cost and limited availability of year-round housing on the Cape has been among the biggest factors behind Orleans and other towns' struggles to fill openings. The assistant planner position, which was first advertised in September, is one of several that town officials have been trying to fill. The town has been advertising for months to fill positions including town accountant, assistant building and facilities manager, and an assistant mechanic for the Department of Public Works. But there is some reason for optimism on the hiring front in Town Hall. In addition to the assistant planner position, Sumner told the select board that two other positions have recently been filled. Javon Amos began work on March 20th as a full-time parks maintenance worker, and the Orleans Police Department has hired a new public safety dispatcher in Kyla White, who began work on March 21st. In his update, Sumner also said gains are being made toward filling three other key town positions. Interviews are underway to fill the town accountant and assistant building and maintenance jobs, as well as to hire a new recreation director. A timeline was not given for when the town expected to hire for those positions. The process of hiring Orleans' next town administrator is well underway as well. The town manager search committee began interviewing candidates for the position this week. Michael Gridone, who chairs the committee, said earlier this month that the committee could have a short list of finalists for the select board to consider by the beginning of April. After five years of rejections, revisions, appeals, and resubmissions, the Cape Light Compact has received state approval for a pilot program to provide a package of solar panels, heat pumps, and battery storage to low-income households. The program, called the Cape and Vineyard Electric Offering, will provide the technologies free of charge to 25 low-income homes in the region. Another 75 homes will get whole home heat pumps and solar panels, as well as advice on financing a battery purchase if desired. The program is expected to roll out to the public in April.
Massachusetts has long-standing incentives for the adoption of solar panels and has recently increased its rebates for home heat pumps. However, these technologies are far less likely to be adopted by low- and moderate-income residents, despite their potential to cut costs. The upfront price is often too high, and many homes need expensive upgrades before equipment can be installed. The Cape Light Compact's plan was designed to help address this major obstacle. The Compact is a regional organization that includes 21 towns on Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard. It negotiates power purchases for members, administers the state-mandated energy efficiency programs offered in the region, and participates in the development of the state's energy efficiency plans. The Compact is now in the process of finalizing the details and developing outreach strategies. The goal is to launch the program next month and have installations complete by the end of 2024. You can find out more by visiting capelightcompact.org. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. This is meteorologist Will David with your weekly weather watch and temperature trend for the Outer Cape. As we head into the first weekend of April, a strong storm moving through the eastern Great Lakes will bring milder air along with a windswept rain tonight and Saturday. As that storm moves into eastern Canada, the trailing cold front will cross the region Saturday night, and high pressure building in behind the front on Sunday will bring sunshine, gusty northwest winds, and a cooler air mass. But with the sunshine, Sunday will still be the pick of the two weekend days. Fair weather will linger into the early part of the work week, but a fast-moving disturbance riding the jet stream may bring a chance of showers on Tuesday, but those showers should be scattered in nature. The middle of the week looks nice with seasonal temperatures, but another strong storm moving out of the Rockies will begin to affect our weather again by Thursday with showers and gusty winds. Now, if you're looking for that feel of true springtime, Mother Nature may be ready to cooperate as a persistent trough in the east weakens and allows somewhat warmer air to head this way late next week and next weekend. Elsewhere across the nation, the same strong storm affecting our weather tonight and Saturday is bringing a large swath of potentially severe weather to over a dozen states from the upper Midwest to the deep south affecting nearly 50 million people. All hazards are on the table, including damaging winds, large hail, severe thunderstorms, and tornadoes. In fact, a few of these tornadoes may be large and violent and remain on the ground for long distances, much like that tornado that tore through Rolling Fork, Mississippi last week. On the colder side of the storm, heavy and possibly record-setting late-season snow will fall from the Dakotas, through the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, with amounts of over a foot and a half possible. Meanwhile, another strong Pacific storm will move into the Northwest later this weekend, with more rain, mountain snow, and wind from Washington to Central California. And this storm will bring another outbreak of violent weather to the middle of the country by the middle of next week. And finally, after three years of La Nina, we are now in a neutral phase but scientists at the Climate Prediction Center expect a rapid evolution to El Nino over the coming months. 
Sea surface temperatures across the equatorial Pacific have surged in recent weeks, and the return of El Nino is raising concerns about how it could accelerate global warming and the crisis of climate change. Now, on one hand, El Nino tends to increase the wind shear and suppress the formations of hurricanes. But on the other hand, the last major episode of El Nino in 2016 sent global temperatures to record highs and contributed to devastating rainforest loss, coral bleaching, polar ice melt, and wildfires. So even if the upcoming El Nino episode isn't as strong as the one seven years ago, it may still pack a punch with significant impacts around the world. Now my exclusive WOMR weekend weather forecast for the Outer Cape. This afternoon, becoming mostly cloudy with a chance of rain later in the afternoon. Highs around 45. Tonight, breezy with periods of rain along with areas of fog. Near steady temperatures in the low to mid 40s. Saturday, windy and mild with a steady morning rain tapering to afternoon showers. Highs around 56. Sunday, mostly sunny, windy and cooler. Highs around 45. As always, stay safe and informed by keeping an eye to the sky and an ear to the radio. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I'm Weather Will. Of all the Jewish holidays in the year, and by my count there are about 15 of them, the most well-known by far is Passover. According to The Economist magazine, Passover is celebrated by about 20% of Americans, which is hard to believe when you realize that Jews make up only about 2.5%. Passover is the biblical observance of human liberation, which might account for this, but we are living in America, after all, and there are no fireworks, no costumes, no presents, and no parades associated with Passover. The ritual is wonderful, but most people get so hungry after the first half hour, they tune it all out. So why do millions of people take an interest? My guess is it's all about the food and the undisputed top cat. The Knee Plus Ultra, the most famous Jewish food of all time, excluding bagels, which are forbidden on Passover, is the humble dumpling called the matzo ball. And once again, by popular demand, I am going to reveal my six secrets for making the best, plus one extra secret. Now, many people overcomplicate the process, which leads me to secret number one for successful matzo balls. Just use the instructions on the box. Buy a package of matzo meal at the supermarket, Manischewitz, Straits, Yehuda, whatever. It really doesn't matter. They all call for the same ingredients and the proportions are on the side of the box. But you have to make a few key substitutions, which brings me to secret number two. The recipe calls for oil. If you can... Replace it with poultry fat. You can buy or render it yourself, and it's simple. I usually save a bit when I roast a chicken or the Thanksgiving turkey. Duck fat is marvelous, and they all store well in the refrigerator. But if you're a vegetarian, 
Just use olive oil, and I'll talk more about vegetarian matzo balls in a minute. One of the big matzo ball controversies is the preference for sinkers or floaters. That is, light and fluffy versus hard and dense. I do not want to get into the pornographic aspects of arguments about the qualities of balls. And this will happen after a few glasses of wine and any time there are more than one or two old guys sitting around a table. But most people prefer light and fluffy balls, and there are two easy ways to achieve this, which constitutes the following. Secret number three. The recipe calls for some kind of liquid. Use club soda. Sounds odd, but those bubbles add buoyancy, and your balls will actually float if, and this is secret number four, don't pack them too tightly. I can't emphasize this enough. Matzo balls are not snowballs, and you're not hurling them at passing cars. So you want to form them, again, not to get too pornographic about it, by cupping them gently in your palms and squeezing them with tenderness. Secret number five is to drop them into boiling chicken soup. Most recipes will say the soup should be simmering, but in my experience, that's not hot enough to make sure they don't crumble. Feel free to turn the temperature from a vigorous boil to a simmer after about five minutes. Now, here's the thing about chicken soup. I can tell you how to make a great one, but if you're a vegetarian, you don't need chicken soup to enjoy matzo balls. You can use miso or vegetable broth or even just boiling water. In that case, maybe add a little turmeric to get that golden color. I always double or triple the ingredients in the recipes to make extra matzo balls. They're fabulous refried. They're even great cold or on a toothpick like Swedish meatballs. Some people roll leftover matzo balls in cinnamon and sugar and bake them on a cookie sheet or cover them with chocolate and sea salt. Secret number six is you don't have to wait for Passover to make matzo balls. I make them whenever I'm feeling under the weather or just down or need some delicious comfort food when times get tough. And here's secret number seven. Do not stress out. Sure, some matzo balls are better than others. People actually rate me on my matzo balls every year. But floaters or sinkers, vegetarian or boiled in chicken soup, matzo balls are an ethnic tradition and everybody loves them. I'm Ira Wood and that's my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn, Will David, and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher and Jacob Greenberg for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz. It's Lush Life with Scott Penn on listener-supported Outermost Community Radio.
WOMR. Young man, 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 young man,